Good morning, Mission View Church. It's good to be here together. There are new, new faces in our audience uh, with our body, so I hope that at the very end, uh, you will reach out to somebody, show them that you love them, even though you don't know them. Get to know new people. That's what we are about. We want others to be a part of this Mission View family, and uh, feeling loved is uh, kind of the first step towards that. For those of you that may not have been here net last week, we started a series called Overcome. Uh, we got to share Michael and Amy's story, and if you have, didn't see it, uh, we've put it on uh, the, the website so that you could see that because we want to put before you stories of people that have changed and that uh, there's God's doing a work like that for many, many people. And every Christian really has a story, a transformation story. And so we hope that you will share, even if it's in private, just with one other person, that you would share your story of how God is at work in your life. So that's, that's really important to us. But today we're going to be covering, we're continuing to look at Peter and we're looking at his overcome story. We're taking two months to tell that story. And we're looking at some episodes in the gospel. And then we will look in at his life after the resurrection of Christ and after Christ ascends. And we'll look at the man he becomes in the book of Acts as well. But right now we're in more of the infancy, infancy of, of Peter's life with the other disciples. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 14. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew 14, in a moment we'll be looking at verse 22 to 23. Last week we saw how Peter was called to become a fisher of men and to drop his nets and to follow Christ. Now, there were other disciples there. There was Andrew, there was James, there was John. And they also dropped their nets and became fishers of men. But also, but what we see though is we see an emphasis on Peter. And so the question comes, why did Peter kind of stand out amongst the rest of the people? So I wanted to give you a little bio on Peter this morning so that you understand a little bit of what he was like and his character and mannerisms. Peter, first of all, was uh, originally from the town called Bethsaida, but he eventually moved to Capernaum because by the time Christ calls him, he's in Capernaum. And the only significance in where he grew up is that he was called a Galilean. And you'll see the people in Jerusalem looked at the people in, in Galilee as kind of, well, that, they're from Galilee. And there was a little bit of a cultural difference. And so he was a Galilean. Um, we see that Peter was married. We look at, we could see that in 1 Corinthians 9. There's a reference to him being married. And we also know that he was an entrepreneur in that he started his own fishing business with Andrew, James, and John. And so there is a bit of this spirit that wants to start things and develop things. And so this is what we see about Peter. 
But we also notice as the gospels progress, we notice that he becomes kind of this outspoken person and rather impulsive. There are certain instances where he just kind of speaks before he actually has had a chance to think it through. We're going to see that today. He says, if it's you, God, call me to walk on water. I don't know that he really thought that one through. I mean, it's the sovereign God that's walking on water and him, a fisherman. And up to this point, he's never been able to do that before. But I'll get out of the boat. So We'll give him some credit on that. But we also see other things. In Matthew 19, it's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And Jesus has taken James and John and Peter up to this mountain. But all of a sudden, there's this cloud that comes around them. And there's Elijah and there's Moses that appears with Christ. Now, at that point, if that was happening to me, I would like to think that I would just be quiet and observe. But Peter says, no, I think I'll bake you guys a tabernacle. How about a tent for each of you? And of course, uh, before it's all said and done, Moses and Elijah are gone. We see at the end of uh, Jesus' ministry when he's being taken to trial that we see the quick to anger Peter where he comes and he cuts off the, the, the ear of the high priest, servant of the high priest. Of course, Jesus has to remedy that and he heals the ear. And at the very end, when G- Peter is, is, uh, is talking to Jesus, he says, I want you to know, Jesus, even though everyone else denies you and doesn't follow you, This guy, this guy will always be with you. And we know how that ended up, don't we? We know how that ended up in that he denied Christ three times. Now, regardless of Peter's impulsive, enthusiasm, strong-willed, brash qualities, what we see is a leader in the development. We see raw material, but we see a leader in development. We find as the scriptures go unfold in the gospels that Peter becomes the kind of the de facto spokesperson for all the other disciples. It would be his leadership abilities that causes him to be a part of this inner circle with Jesus, with James and John, where he often went to places that the other disciples didn't go. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to see this little girl, uh, Jairus's daughter, to be healed. Jesus uh, often took his disciples, and, and while well, we see it in, the, in Gethsemane, where he takes those three off to pray and to, to, to watch over Peter. And so we see the responsibilities. Special tasks were given to Peter of preparing the, uh, the Passover meal. And Jesus tells them after he resurrects, he says, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Three times he says that for, to counter the three times that he denied Christ. And so we see this kind of raw material starting to form by the the end of year three. We start to see leadership principles or leadership qualities arise in Peter. We also see that Jesus 
gives Peter a very specific responsibility. After his confession that he is the Christ, he says to Peter, I am going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, he gave great responsibility to Peter. Peter arose in his leadership abilities. And I think what this shows us, it shows each of us that God wants to take us where we're at and he wants to develop us into the person and the leader that he wants us to be. We will learn through our mistakes, just like Peter did. We will learn by developing our, our, our leadership abilities as we face new challenges and we will develop our leadership abilities as we step out of the boat. And we're willing to take risks for God. Now, we sometimes will step out of the boat with boldness, not knowing what's going to happen. But that's what faith is all about. As we continue today, we're going to look at a situation where Peter finds himself in, a, in, in the midst of a storm with the other disciples. And we're going to see how his faith is developed through this situation. But let me give you a little bit of context to this passage in Matthew chapter 14. This is about probably a year to a year and a half into this three-year discipleship process. So there has been progress that has been made in Peter's life as well as the other disciples. Now, the context is this. They had just been on the, the shore of Galilee and there was 5,000 5, men that were all there. Now, actually, the number probably is close to 15 to 20,000 because in Jewish culture, they only counted the men. But when you count the men, the wives, and the children, there was probably close to 15 to 20,000 people that were on this hillside. Now, I can picture it because I've been to Israel, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and I can see these vast open fields where it was almost like an acoustic because the Gal Sea of Galilee sits down in a bowl, and as you speak up, you're like in a, a natural amphitheater. And for Jesus to be able to share and to talk and, and for him to teach, and then it comes time because it's late in the day. The disciples want to send them away. And he says, no, we're going to feed them. What do you have? Well, we only have uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Okay, go ahead and feed them. Um, the math isn't adding up here. 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go ahead and feed them. Break them down into gr small groups, and we're going to feed every single one of them. Now, what is so incredible is that Jesus is the per performing the miracle, but he is using his disciples to actually hand out the bread and the fish. And when they did it, the fish and the loaves are multiplying in their very hands as they are passing it out. It never gives out. The bread didn't give out. The fish didn't give out. And I could see the disciples like, this is awesome. I've never seen something like this before. This is incredible. I would be pretty excited. And I think you would be as well. What a lesson of faith. And you know, I think as a side note, 
the disciples were learning that day the very thing that we should learn as well. That we give Jesus our little and he multiplies it and does much for his glory. So this was a mountaintop experience. All these people uh, are fed and they gathered up scraps that were much more than the five loaves and two fishes. And so here they are, excited. Well, Jesus goes ahead and sends his disciples on while he dismisses the crowd. Now, Jesus has a motive for this. It says in the book of John that there was some murmuring amongst the people. And the murmuring and the whispering was, let's make him our king. Only a king could do something like this. And it says in John chapter 6 that the people wanted to take Jesus by force and force him to be their king. Now, had the disciples stayed there, I would guess at this point in their maturity, because of what they've seen in Jesus, they may have gone along with the people. But Jesus had sent them away. He dismisses the people. And Jesus goes up into the mountain and prays. Now, what unfolds next, I think, was just as much of a lesson on faith as it was in the feeding of the 20, 15 to 20,000 people. But this experience would place each disciple in the crucible of fear in the storm. See, it's a far, it was far different from the elation that they had just experienced but Jesus wanted them to experience this. And might I say that there is a lesson of faith for us as well because our greatest lessons come when the storm hits us. When the storm hits us, it is the greatest moment of vulnerability where we grow in our faith. And Jesus wanted his disciples to see this. So as we see how Peter responds to the storm, we will clearly see ourselves in this situation. And our passage today lays out five things that Jesus does to build their faith. And so I want to use that as a word of encouragement for us. So the very first thing that Jesus does is he prays for us. Verse 22, it says this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, I think this was common practice for Jesus to go up to pray on the mountain. He often withdrew, uh, probably even at times when it didn't logically make sense because there's more crowds gathering and Jesus would go off and he would pray. Now, we're not told here what he prays for, but we are told in Matthew 6 how he often prays and he was teaching his disciples. Remember what he said? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Certainly, it makes sense that Jesus practiced this prayer himself, except the part of forgiveness, because he was perfect. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness. But in light of the people wanting to make him a political king, I can see him praying about God's kingdom coming and God's will be done with his disciples and that he would work in the heart of the masses, in the heart of the masses of the people. When Jesus got alone with the Father, it's reasonable that he talked about this mission on earth that he wanted to fulfill with the disciples. We know for certain that today Jesus prays for you. Did you know that? He prays for you as a believer. This is what we're told in Romans 8. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, just as Jesus knew that his disciples were headed for into a storm, he knows when each of us are headed into a storm. He sees your situation. He knows bad things are going to happen to his followers. Not once in the scriptures do I ever see Jesus saying that bad things are not going to happen to you. He doesn't say that. He knows that there's consequences to us living in a sinful and fallen world. God doesn't stop crazy men from going into church and shooting up 26 souls. He doesn't stop it. God doesn't prevent physical affliction. God doesn't create hurricanes to jump over the house of believers. God doesn't give special immunity from cancer to pastors. God doesn't make Christ's followers exempt from miscarriages or infertility. But I'll tell you what he does do. He promises that he is with you. He's with you. He's with you. Every step of the way. And so here's the question. Are you holding on to Jesus? Yes, you grieve. But are you holding on to Christ? See, Jesus' prayer for us is, is one that builds our faith. Here's the second thing that Jesus does for us in building our faith. He allows a storm. That does, may not make sense to us, but this is what it says. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way off from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. Jesus knew that he was sending his disciples into a storm. I shared that the Sea of Galilee sits down kind of in a bowl. The Sea of Galilee really is more like a lake. It's only 13 miles wide and 8 miles uh, uh, long or wide or however that is. Uh, 13 by 8, that's your dimensions in miles. And it sits down in the bowl and often these storms would come over the mountains and just sweep down into the Sea of Galilee. And it could be a clear day and all of a sudden there is a storm that is upon you. Warren Wiersbe, a pastor and theologian, once said this. 
He says there are two types of storms in life. Storms that correct when God disciplines us and storms of perfection. Correction, perfection when God helps us to grow. Think of Jonah in the Old Testament. He brought a storm in his life to correct him because he was going the wrong way. God said, go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite way, and God corrected him. The disciples here, this is a perfection. He is discipling them. He's helping them understand. The passage that, uh, that Jesse read earlier was probably in the first year of the discipleship, but different in this situation because Jesus is in the boat, he's sleeping, and a storm arises. The, the, the fishermen are going into a panic as they call to the carpenter to help them out. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And they say, Jesus, we're going to drown. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind, re rebukes the waves, and whoosh, calm. And I could just see the disciples looking at each other saying, whoa, whoa, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Here's, his, here's the point. It is better to be in God's will and yet in the storm than to be in the storm and out of God's will. The reason I say that is that I think that there are some storms that are created by us. They're created by our own disobedience. It's, it's of our own making. It is the fact that we have neglected our spouse. It's the fact that we've been lazy at work. It's the fact that we have a problem with authority. It's the fact that we have walked away from God. See, when we do those kind of things, we bring consequences upon ourselves. But here's the beautiful thing about God, what's so amazing about God, even in that situation, he extends his hand and says, believe in me, I will rescue you. And so the question is, am I calling on Christ? Am I calling on Christ? Church, the, sto the storms are designed to build our faith. That's what they're designed to do. Or to get us back on track. Here's the third thing that Jesus does in this situation to build our faith. He comes to us. He comes to us. Look at verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now what's interesting, the fourth watch was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And so he comes at the fourth watch and I find that it's usually in the middle of the night that some of the most lonely times happen in our life where we dwell on things, we become anxious about things. Maybe those are the things that are keeping us up. But what we see is proof that Jesus comes to us at our points of despair. The storm is kicking this boat all over the place and these disciples are in a place of despair. Now can I just say that there are some in the Christian world that feel that Christians should never face anxious situations, should not face despair, should not face depression. But yet we see it in the scripture. 
I can give you examples. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 despaired even of life because of a situation he was in. We see Jesus in Gethsemane when he falls to the ground and prays in his anguish. It says that his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. Peter in his book in 1 Peter says that we will suffer all kinds of grief and all kinds of trials. So anyone that tells you that a believer is exempt from these deep emotional stresses don't understand the scriptures. What is clear is that Christ comes alongside of us when we are in the valley, if we draw close to him. That's our job, to draw close to him. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. How about Psalm 34, 17 through 19? When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them all. I'm not going to read it now, but Psalm 37 is another incredible psalm. Here's the question. Do you realize the presence of Christ. Friends, Jesus is trying to build our faith by coming to us at our time of need. Here's the fourth thing that Jesus does to build our faith. He encourages faith. Take a look at verse 26 and what happens here. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now in this, in this scene, what we see is that Peter arises as the main figure of learning here. Now we often see this as a negative on Peter because Jesus says, why are you of little faith? But let me ask you, is it possible that Jesus is actually smiling in this situation? Maybe not a big grin, but just in his heart, there's a little bit of a situation of, okay, let's see how this unfolds with Peter in his faith. See, yes, Peter was confused because he was thought it was a ghost. Yes, Peter showed uncertainty and said, if it's you, God, command me to come. Yes, Peter began to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus. But he got out of the boat. Every teacher wants their kids to learn. Every teacher wants them to grow in faith. Think of it as a father. As a father, when my kids were really young or when as a grandfather, when we're watching Faye or Eliza now starting to stand up and you want to see them take those first steps and when they fall on the ground, you don't think, oh, you're such an idiot. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're like, yeah, yeah, they're taking 
taking a step and we're excited. And then, you know, I don't know if this is true in your household, but in my household, when they were toddlers, I'm like getting them up to the third step. Okay, jump to daddy's arms. Now the fourth step. And somewhere mom intervenes when I'm at the sixth step. But, you know, you're trying to get your kid to jump and to trust you and, and to take a risk. Maybe you didn't do that, but I did. But the whole point is, when Jesus says, okay, come. He was encouraging the risk. Because Jesus encourages growth and faith. Later, when Peter writes the book of 1 Peter, he's, well, he's mature. He writes this. He says in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. I think it's very feasible that Peter's mind raced back to the boat incident when he wrote this and probably smiled himself about the step of faith that he took. So here's the question. Are you stepping out in faith? God encourages it. Here's the last thing that Jesus teaches, does to build our faith. Jesus sees us through. Take a look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, I don't believe that Peter, Jesus was scolding Peter. It makes sense that Jesus would rather see steps of faith instead of just staying in the boat where it was relatively safe. The reason Peter became the leader of the church is because he was willing to take steps of faith. That's the point. That's the point for you and I. Everybody has a chance to be a Peter. Some will always stay in the boat. But God encourages us, take steps of faith. Get out of the boat. Do something that is beyond you. And trust God to do and to be there with you. We may fail along the way, but I will tell you, Jesus will succeed every time. The more we step out in faith, the more we will see the power of Christ, which in turn builds our faith. Who cares if you fail? Who cares if you step out and fail? Jesus will catch you. What, what we will see as we continue to get out of the boat is that our faith will grow and we'll realize how incredibly powerful Jesus is. So here's the question. Are you allowing failure to hold you back? This is a big question because there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that are allowing failure to preventing them from stepping out of the boat again. Well, the last thing we see is worship. Verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. See, in the other boat instance in, in chapter 8, we see the disciples are like, what kind of man is this? But now they all worship. All the disciples have progressed a little bit in their faith because they certainly wanted to worship Christ. 
because they knew that this was no ordinary man. This is what our Heavenly Father wants us to do, wants to do for us as individuals and as a church. Church, he wants us to grow in our faith.